into God's Word. Father God, thank you so much for um, just being such a great, great God. Um, we love that you do incredible things, uh, not only in our lives, but through our lives. And God, as we look at your Word today, God, may it teach us how what you have done in us, God, just have such an impact on our world. And we thank you also God, I thank you for Jeremiah, and I thank you for what you've done in his life. And I want to pray even right now for Dana and Jeremiah as they go through a long recovery process here. God, that you would use this time for them to truly experience you in ways they never have before as they see the love of their people, but also um, just as they watch your goodness and faithfulness unfold in their lives. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, I want to ask you kind of a pointed question to get things started this morning. I want to ask you, how effective, how effective do you feel you are in impacting others for God's kingdom? I know that could be kind of a guilt-inducing kind of question. How impactful do you think you are? Do you have a real sense? I mean, do you have a sense that God can or, or God is using you to assist people in coming to know him? And not only to know him, but also to grow in their knowledge of, of who they truly are in Christ. Because that's our role. That really is our role. Like I said, this isn't meant to be a, a guilt-inducing question at all, because I pointed back at myself as well. Because I asked, and I asked this question because I believe that our enemy, the very real enemy that we have, the devil, he really does use a very specific tactic in order to keep us, his followers, followers of Jesus, from feeling like that we are truly useful for the kingdom. He's going to do anything he can, but I really feel like there's a tactic that he does to get us to feel like, eh, I'm just, I'm just not really not that useful to keep us, keep us from believing that each one of us plays a vital part in helping people and helping people bring hope and wholeness to people's lives through the incredible power of Jesus. And here's the tactic. The tactic is getting us to not fully realize or to, to be blind to or be oblivious to the impact that we can have on other people by simply intentionally demonstrating to them the same loving kindness and devotion that God has demonstrated to us. So often we think we got to learn all this stuff. We got to do all these incredible, incredible things to have an impact. But the truth is that in order to fully participate in our God-given, not only responsibility, but our, our privilege of playing an active role in bringing the hope of Christ into people's lives is we don't have to know all the answers. We don't have to know all the right things to say. We don't even have to feel like, oh, I got my spiritual life really together or my walk with God really together. What we simply need to do is to trust that as we are faithful in taking advantage of opportunities to demonstrate to others the same loving kindness that we've been talking about through this whole book of, of Ruth, the same kind of loving kindness and devotion that God has demonstrated to us, we need to believe that He will use us in ways we never imagined. Never could we possibly imagine? If you want to take notes, you've got the little note things in your thing to fill in the blanks if you want to. Because number one, the truth is, we can never, 
never know the full impact of our actions done out of God's standard for loving kindness and devotion. We can never know the full impact. It's that same loving kindness and devotion that God has demonstrated to us. And we're going to see this vividly illustrated as we wrap up the book of Ruth. As we wrap this book up, we're going to see how we can, as just being faithful in the having loving, acting in loving kindness, at God's standard of loving kindness that is revealed in Christ, and we could see how that will impact the world. So, sorry, so where, here we are. We could do a long recap. I don't want to do a recap. If you want a recap uh, on everything, go back and watch the last three uh, sermons we did on the book of Ruth. It's, it's been a fantastic book. I love this book. But so far, we've seen that right where we're at now is Naomi is looking at the very real possibility that her husband's deceased family line is going to be snuffed out. Okay? She's going to be, because he's dead, her two sons are also dead as well. So what's going to happen here? How are we going to, the family line going to be take, could go on? How are we going to be taken care of? This is, and this was, remember, this was a major tragedy back in that day for your family line to just, to cease to exist. Major tragedy in that culture. And she was also, remember, we saw that she was also very concerned about the well-being of her widowed daughter-in-law, Ruth. Remember, Ruth had come to be so committed to her, this undying, loving kindness and devotion. Remember, where you go, I'll go. The God you worship, I'll worship. Where you die, where you're buried, I'll be buried. I'll live there. I mean, I'm in, 100% in. I'll adopt your faith. I'll adopt your everything, your culture, everything. This is how much I'm devoted to you. So she wants to make sure she's going to be taken care of. How do we do that? So Naomi sets in motion this plan that she's hoping will remedy both of these issues, okay? She, remember about, remember Boaz, Boaz has been showing this incredible loving kindness to Ruth, and so she knows that Boaz is this kinsman redeemer. Remember we talked about what this kinsman redeemer is, it's close blood relative who could marry the wife of a deceased man, or if she's too old, as in Naomi's case, could marry her daughter-in-law. And that first child would carry on the deceased family name. So she knows that he's available to do that. That was what that was a custom back then. And, she, and he could do that. So she's figured out, how do we make this happen? Now, we also saw that Boaz has come to see that Ruth was an incredible woman. Remember, she was, we talked about that whole, all the words that described her were the same words that describe a Proverbs 31 woman. She was an excellent woman. She, had, she was of noble character. He wanted Ruth, okay? Bottom line, this whole kinsman thing looked awesome, especially since it had Ruth involved. So he was, he was loving this. But remember, there was a problem. There was a kinsman that was closer than Boaz was, and he had the first right of refusal, okay? But we see that Boaz is committed to doing the right thing. He's not going to sneak around anything. He's committed to doing the right thing. Yet what we're going to see, here's the interesting thing we're going to see this morning. We're going to see that he also has a plan for how he believes that he can assure that he and, Naomi, he and Ruth will end up together. Interesting story. Here we go. Ruth chapter 4, let's start in verse 1. We'll show you the first handful of verses. 
Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling a parcel of land that belonged to her, our relative Elimelech, that was her husband. So I thought I would tell you, if it, and I'd say, buy it in the presence of these sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you redeem it, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Okay, so we see Boaz going to the city gate, the place where legal transactions were typically carried out, and he waits for this kinsman to come by. He eventually comes by and goes, oh, hey, buddy. Basically, that's what he says in that language. like, oh, hey, buddy, come on over. Come on over here. Interesting, this guy, we never know who this guy is. He gets no mention, not a name in there at all. Hey, dad, hey, dude, come on over here. I want to I talk to you for a minute. And he does. And next we see that Boaz goes and does all the right things. He convenes legal counsel, gets the elders of the town there, and he proceeds to describe this whole situation here. And he explains that because probably unable to make any gain, any income from this land that's owned by her deceased husband, Naomi must sell it. So he proposes that. So Boaz, see, he goes to present two options, he says, okay? He says, the first one, there's the closest redeemer. He says, he can redeem it, and that'll keep it in the family. You can do that, okay? He said, the second option is this, is if you don't want to do it, I'll do it, okay? If, you don't, if you're not willing to do it, I will do it, okay? So when we see there that obviously seeing that this sounds like a good deal, yeah, it gets more property, and oh, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So he sees it as an opportunity, as a good investment, and he agrees to buy it. I'll do it. But Boaz ain't done yet. Crafty Boaz. Here is what he does. He goes on to remind this guy of the court and the court. He wants everybody to know that this guy also has a moral responsibility, a moral obligation. Look at verse 5 where he says this. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So here we see Boaz is letting this man in the court know that really to truly fulfill his responsibility as this kinsman redeemer, Ruth comes with the deal. Okay, Ruth is a part, it's a pack, she's part of the package, okay? She's, you must take her as well. Realizing this responsibility, I have a feeling this guy kind of went, uh, wait a second. I've heard that she's great and everything. We all know that she's awesome. Everybody's been talking about her. That's all great. But he was probably thinking the financial burden of adding another person, another adding a wife and, and her offspring and now having to share his inheritance with more and more people. No. What seemed like a really good investment at first, no. Seems too costly now. So he says, no, you go ahead and do it. Now, you got to believe that Boaz was helping that this whole element in the transaction would lead to things working out in his favor. you got to know he knew this. He was ready for this. And the reality is, he wasn't interested in the land, right? 
Whatever. He wasn't interested in the land. He wanted Ruth. He had spent a lot of time with Ruth in the last couple months. He wanted to be with her. Now we're going to look quickly at the details of Boaz fulfilling his role as kinsman redeemer. Look at verse 7. It says, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belongs to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilton and Malhan. Those were her sons. Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malhan, I have bought I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his people and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses today. So in a symbolic act that I don't see many people doing today, I haven't seen that transaction before, taking off your sandal and saying, I'm abdicating for my responsibility. Guys, take off his sandal and gives it to Boaz. I don't know if you go have an extra spare sandal at home knowing that I'm going to be making transactions. I don't know. This is my transaction sandal. I, I, I have no idea how that works. But that's just what they did back then. And Boaz then goes on to publicly proclaim, and he declares his, all the things that he's done. Okay, he's redeemed the land of Naomi's family, and more importantly to him, Ruth. He gets Ruth to be his wife, and also to perpetuate the family name. Boaz has got to be feeling good, right? About no, Boaz has got to be feeling pretty good about things have turned out. Yet not only does he what has gotten what he was hoping he would get. Check out what we're going to see now. He receives this very encouraging response, not only from those witnesses that he gathered, but most likely while this was going on, people were kind of stopping by as going to the gate. What's going on? What's Boaz doing? What's with the sandal? You know, all these people are hanging out wondering what's going on. So all these people are around and they've been hearing all that's going on and listen to how they respond in verse 11. He says, then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthy in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamor bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. So, first of all, what we're seeing is all the elders along with this crowd, what they do is they not only say, okay, we agree, this looks good what you did, they proclaim three incredible blessings on Boaz. But the first one is for Ruth. It's to, for Ruth that, her, that she would help for him establish through her children, firmly establish Boaz, his lineage and his family by providing children. And here's what he says, as distinguished as Rachel and Leah. I don't know if you remember the story of Rachel and Leah at all in the wife. Who were the kids of Rachel and Leah? The kids of Rachel and Leah were the 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. So they're saying, may you just because of her, and we know how great she is, we know how awesome she is, may you just be like, um, this, your fame and everything just be incredible. May, this, may you be blessed like crazy. What an honor. What an honor they're bestowing. Remember, Ruth is from Moab. The 
confirmed enemies of Israel. So she comes in, and now she's getting a blessing because she's been faithful. She's been so faithful and so devoted to Naomi. What, turns, what a turn of events for Ruth. Number two, I just wanted to have you so you had this. By God's providence, number two, and you know, Ruth has gone from a barren foreigner, which she described in chapter one, to one lower than a servant. Remember, she told, told Boaz she was lower a servant. To a servant, remember Boaz said, who is that? I, your servant. To a wife, and now to a mother of a son who will carry on the family line. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Remember, her and Naomi didn't even know where their next meal was going to come from. <laughs> and now this is where she is. Amazing. This is far beyond what she could ever imagine when her and Naomi were just starving, waiting, looking for food. Where are we going to get our next meal? Now, the second and third blessing that all these people give are for Boaz, and they're very similar. And they refer to him flourishing or being renowned through his offspring, just as his relative Perez, who we're going we're to see that name again. He's descended from Perez. And Perez was someone who was blessed as well as a result of a kinsman-redeemer relationship. So God is working. He's been working and he's still working, doing these unique, incredible things. So we now, here's what we're going to start looking at. We're going to start looking at the incredible results of Boaz's actions. Let's see what happens here. Remember, this is a culmination of all of his many acts of loving kindness and devotion to both Ruth and Naomi. This is a big culmination. So look what he says, starting in verse 14 through the first part of verse 17. He says, then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. See, the whole thing now shifts to Naomi. All the focus is going to go on here. We see here that the women begin to glorify God that for all that has happened to her, they're starting to see God's providence. They're starting to see how God worked in all of this. Remember prior to this, remember how Naomi felt about herself? Remember when she had just returned from Moab? She saw her life as bitter and empty and that God was totally against her. What an incredible turn of events. She couldn't, have, she couldn't have even see at that time how incredible it was to have someone like, like Ruth who devoted herself so deeply to her. She couldn't see it at all. She was so desperate, so destitute. You ever been in that place before? Where things just seem so difficult, seem just things so hard. Not even being able to imagine how God might change these circumstances. And it might not be for you. It might be for a, a relative, a family friend. I've got some things going on in my family that are just deeply disturbing to me. And I'm just begging God, please do something. Please. This seems so hopeless. Seems so helpless in this situation. Remember, that's where Naomi was. Look what God has done. 
what God has done. She could have never imagined this. They point out that the Lord has provided a son that would not only carry on her family name, but would ultimately provide protection and give her provision and protection in her old name. And you've got to remember this piece. She says that his name would be renowned. They're hoping that his name would be famous in Israel. Keep that in your head as well. That's their, that's their blessing. They, oh, man, that, that, may his name be awesome. May, may something great come out of this guy. Did I lose something? I didn't. All right. All right, and then they go on to actually, they point out the loving kindness and devotion that Ruth has shown her, really by making sure that this marriage and this birth would greatly benefit her. That's why Ruth was willing to get married. I know that this will help my mother-in-law. This will take care of her. I am devoted to her. I love her. I want her to be taken care of. Amazing, just amazing. As a matter of fact, we also see here that because of, they say that because of her actions to her, that to Naomi, that she is better, we can't miss this, than seven sons. Now, if you're living back then, today you might be thinking, oh, boys, they smell, you know, they, oh, gosh, I have four sons, you know, I get it, I get that. But he says, may they be to her, may he be better, may that be, you know, more to you than seven sons. And in a society back then, who unfortunately, that's just how they did it, they, they valued sons highly and more so above daughters. And seven would be considered perfection. So may this, may, may this be to you, may her be, may what Ruth has done, may her act of devotion, may her act of loving kindness be to you like the perfect scenario in your life. That's pretty incredible what they would want her to have. This shows their extreme respect for Ruth and how she has conducted her life. And number three on your notes, we also see that Naomi is no ordinary grandmother, okay? We gotta get, you got to see this. This is so unique. The language here really denotes a mother-child relationship. Really, there's an assumption here that Naomi is going to assume parental responsibility for the child's upbringing, a true mother and son relationship. This isn't going to be like we got to go over to my grandson's house yesterday and he got to, hey, hi, Oma, you know, say I had a cat. No, it wasn't like that. We get to love on our grandkids. We have a grandkid living with us right now, and that's awesome. No, and this is more than that. Really, through Boaz's act of redemption, Naomi now has a son, literally has a son that will carry on the name, her family name, and she will be taken care of the rest of her life. All is good. All has worked out great. Not only did you, your family name go on, but you know what? Your son, you have a son now. Remember those two died, but you, now you have a son who's going to carry on the name. He's going to care for you. He's going to love you. You're all good. And this, is, this would be a great place to say, what a great story. Naomi, everybody, it all worked out for everybody. What a great ending it would be. Happily ever after for everyone. Naomi's family line will continue. Both her and Ruth will be well taken care of. Boaz gets Ruth. <laughs> This tremendous woman of worth and character. And we see that Ruth even shows her incredible devotion and loving kindness by having Naomi actually, in a sense, raise her child as her own. Wow. 
A true Hollywood ending, really, if you think about it. A, an incredible ending. But have you ever been to a movie? Have you ever been to the theater before and the movie's over, the credits are rolling, but all of a sudden the credits stop, half the theater's empty, and then more of the movie. I love it when that happens. I don't know about you. I stick around usually anyway just to see if that's going to happen. I love when that happens. There's, there's more movie. Well, there's more story. It could end right here. It'd be fine if it ended. All's great. All is fantastic. But it's not, that's not the case. What's happening is it's going on. As great as this ending is, there, the ending is, there is more. Actually, the real punchline is coming in the last couple verses of this entire book. Okay? The full impact of all these characters' actions that are done out of God's standard of loving kindness and devotion are about to be revealed. Now we're really going to see what happens. Look at these final verses in the book of Ruth, verses 17, second half of 17 to 22. It says, they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of, we've heard this name, Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Abinadab. Abinadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Solomon. Solomon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered who? David. Did you catch that? Did you catch that number four on your notes there? The child born to Ruth and raised by Naomi turns out to be the grandfather of King David. The grandfather of King David. You're darn right his name would be famous as the women prayed back in verse 14. You're darn right he'll be famous. That came to pass. Not only was Obed the grandfather of King David, he was also in the line of who? Yeah, the son of David, Jesus Christ. Now, of course, Ruth and Naomi and Boaz would never have known any of this at the time. I'm sure they, could you imagine? Someone said, oh yeah, I just popped, I wanted to, I just popped in from time in the future. I just want to let you know that because of your actions and because of your relationship, the Savior of the world is going to be born. Just wanted you to know that. Bye. You know, can, can you imagine that? No, they weren't thinking that at all. They were trying to not only take care of their, the needs that they had, but they were doing so in a way that showed their devotion and their loving kindness towards one another. Number five on your note, what is wild here is what seemed to simply be God's provision in providing care for two defenseless widows through acts of loving kindness and devotion now turns out to be divine guidance for the benefit of not only all Israel, but for all of mankind. And that's the point here. They were willing to act in obedience and they were willing to be faithful to love and to care out of a, out of a God-centered type of love and devotion. That's what they're willing to do. I like what one commentator says here. He says, when common people act unselfishly towards each other in accordance to God's standard of hesed, that's the word that I have loosely here translated into loving kindness and devotion, but baby, it, basically it does, doesn't do it justice at all. But that's the closest I can come. He says, they achieve uncommon results. 
The point here is, as, as just regular old us, as regular old you and me, as we unselfishly act towards other people with, this, with God's standard, the way that God loves, the way that God cares, the way that God is committed, incredible things can happen. Things that we never, ever in a million years imagined can, could happen. Because the truth is that as Boa, as with Boaz, Naomi, and Ruth, it's impossible. It is really impossible for to know the full impact of our actions. We cannot know, no matter how small. Have you ever done that before? You say, I'd like to do something. I want to say something, but it's, it's not, it's, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Or, oh, they probably already know. Or I, I, someone else will tell them, or, or you know what, it's... It, You know what? They don't seem like they really need a lot of encouragement right now. They seem like they're doing well. I'll I'll get them next time. Or I've heard them say something, and you know what? That really kind of goes against who they are in Christ, and that really is defeats the purpose, defeats defeats their identity in Christ. But they'll hear that in a sermon. They'll go to Bible study. They'll, They'll get it. So we don't say anything. We often we let those things slide. But number six on your notes, what we learn from this story in Ruth is that no matter how insignificant they may seem to us, we have no idea how God might use our action in the restoration. Remember, this is a big word. In the restoration of people's lives to him that are done out of God's standard of loving kindness and devotion. How many of you in this room could use some restoring every once in a while? I know I could. That's what God calls us to do out of his loving kindness and devotion to help restore not only people that need to know Christ that are completely lost, but those of us that do follow Jesus that are believing some of the lies that the enemy tells us and forgetting who we are in Jesus, forgetting our identity in Christ, our identity as children of the king, that we don't need people's approval, that I don't need success, I don't need to work hard. Jesus did all the work. All the work has been done to secure my identity, to secure my happiness, secure my contentment. It's all, it's done. And when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. That's what he sees. He doesn't see that guy that just blew it 15 minutes ago with what he thought about or what he said. He doesn't see that. Ruth could have never imagined the outcome of committing her undying love and devotion to Naomi. She never could have, nor Naomi could have in making, remember those plans she made? Okay, you go and you talk to him and this is what you need to say. She didn't know. She just wanted her daughter-in-law to be cared for. She loved her. And Boaz could never imagine the outcome of all those things that he did out of kindness and devotion, out of a godly kindness and devotion. And number seven, the last one, you know, the truth is, As followers of Jesus, we need to be sensitive to the promptings and the opportunities God brings into our lives where we're able to do or say things out of God's standard of loving kindness and devotion that will inevitably point to Jesus, that will inevitably point to to Jesus, not just being a nice person because we want to be nice, but we're doing this out of our love and devotion to God and to, and to them because we want to point them to Jesus. It's one thing to say, 
Be nice to people and make them feel good because they had a nice person come along their path. It's another thing to pray and hope and honestly, in our deepest thing, want those actions, even if we didn't say anything about Jesus, to help point those people to Jesus. That's what we want. Because the truth is, through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, God redeemed us. He bought us back from a life eternal, eternally separated from him due to our sin. And we now have the responsibilities as followers of Jesus and the privilege, like I said, of being part of other people's redemption story. What a privilege. Isn't that a privilege? To think that I can be a part of someone's redemption story, of them being bought back out of their sin, and also a fellow Christian coming back or coming closer to understanding their identity in Christ by the things that I'm willing to say and the actions I'm willing to do out of God-centered devotion and loving kindness. My friends, that is what it's all about. (laughs) That's what being a part of the family of God, that's what being in community is all about, all this I've been talking about, how we need each other, we need to be involved in each other's lives so that we can demonstrate this hesed, this loving kindness and devotion to one another and then learn how to demonstrate that to our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers who so desperately, desperately need it. Who might God be calling you to do this to? Just think about it as we close here. Who might God be calling you to do this in order to help them to be more whole and to point them to Jesus? Who might need you to come alongside them and journey with them? But I'm not good with people. You don't understand. I don't always know what to say. That's where trusting in God and the Holy Spirit to lead us into those things and you're going to find this happen. This happened, I told you guys in the last six months, God has been challenging me like crazy to be, walk alongside people more, especially people in our community, and get to know them. And I got to tell you, as a pastor for the last 30-something years, still scares the out of me. It still does. Because you know what? You step out and fit. Yeah, that isn't really a word, is it? But you st- I st- as I step out, I'm watching God provide the opportunities, and I'm like, oh, Okay. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many opportunities I've had in these last few months that have just been laid out before. It's almost like I'm shocked, I'm stunned when it happens because I've asked God to do it. I've begged God to do it. I've tried to be in a place where God could use me to do that. But I got to tell you, as a professional Christian, I still go, whoa, Uh, 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 uh." still happens. But it's a wonderful opportunity for then for me to truly understand the gospel. Okay, I don't have to worry about what they think about what I say. I just, I just, I'm concerned about what Jesus thinks about me. God sees me as he sees his son. I can confidently just, you know, and, talk and let, let God take care of the rest. And that is what he is asking us to do. Who might, who might that be in your life? I want to encourage you. I really want to encourage you because something that because I can tell you it works. I want to encourage you to make a habit of asking the Lord to give you the eyes to see and the ears to hear to be able to recognize opportunities where you can practically show this 
God-centered loving kindness and devotion to others. And pray for the courage to act on those promptings. I'm telling you right now, you start praying that kind of prayer on a regular basis, I can guarantee your life is going to be turned upside down in a good way. In a good way. You're going to get to know Jesus in a way you never thought you could. You're going to see God use you in ways that you never imagined that he would do. And that's what he so longs to do. Because the truth is we can never know the full impact of our actions that are done out of God's standard of loving kindness and devotion. We can't. We can't. That kind of loving, devo- that kind of loving kindness and devotion that he shows you and I day after day after day. All right, a couple questions. First question for you guys. What are some things that make us blind? It's kind of a run-on probably. What are some things that make us blind or oblivious to the impact we can have on others by simply intentionally demonstrating to them the same loving kindness and devotion God has demonstrated to us? Think that through. What are some of the, what are some of the, basically, what are some of the things that, that make us blind or oblivious to doing what we've just talked about this morning? What are some things that just keep us from doing that, from stepping out and being ready and all that? So what are some things that, that do that to us? Why? Scared. Scared. Yes. Scared of what? Failure. Big time. I know you're the only one that can relate to that. So thanks for sharing that. That's a great one. Yeah, fear of failure. Yes. What else? Busyness. Busyness. Yes. Yes. And I know that you're the only one that's busy. So thanks for sharing that. But uh, it's so true. So good. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so good, Wayne. Do you all hear that? Fear that, hey, I'm not, who am I? Yeah, who am I to be a representative for the God of the universe? If you're a screw up, you're a perfect person. Okay? You're perfect. You're the perfect person. If you're trusting in God's grace and God's goodness and seeing yourself as God sees you through the eyes of his son, you're perfect. You're the perfect one to do it. Yeah. Good. What else? What else? What else blinds us in the way of us doing this? These are great. What do you mean? It's good. Oh, this is amazing. Yeah. See, even our language barrier. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't speak them. I'm not like them. Or I'm too old. You can put that in anything. I, who am I to talk to them? To I'm too old. I'm too young. I, all those things. The consulate of what? Oh, wow. Fantastic. That's, see, just 
go. Just do it. All right. Second question. What are some practical ways of showing God's standard of loving kindness and devotion to others? What are some just bare bones practical ways that you and I can show loving kindness and devotion to These can be very general or very specific, whatever comes to mind. Think about it for a second, then go ahead. Anybody? You're getting specific there. Go ahead and go. <laughs> Never happened. I know. Okay. Yeah. Good for you. That's a, that's that's such a great one. Yeah. Being patient. Be intentionally being patient. Yeah. Cat. Yeah, and that can just, yeah, that's huge. Think about the early church. What does it say? They had, in Acts chapter 2, 42, they just had everything in common. No one, was in, no one had a need. Yeah. yeah. Anything else? What are some other things, some practical ways? What's that? Not being judgmental. Not being judgmental towards, yeah. It's hard to love someone that you're judgmental towards, isn't it? Yeah, very hard. Good one. What else? Practical ways. Wow, Joe, go sit in the corner. (laughs) I know for me, I thought of a couple things. One was, um, and this is something that I'm learning in my life too, is learning how to speak the gospel into people's lives, learning the the truth of the gospel. Like I've been saying throughout this whole thing, when when someone brings up a situation in their life, a frustration, anger, um, whatever it is, okay, how does the gospel speak to that situation? How does their, who they are in Jesus, what might they believe, what, what lie might they believe believing that they need to stop believing and what's the truth that can replace that? You know what I'm saying? And once again, that's not, there's no, let me pull out my card for this person. No, it's learning to slowly, every time we, when we engage with people, we speak the gospel to them. We speak in a way that speaks the truth of who they are in Christ. Um, that's one. And another one I thought of is, is one other thing I'm trying to just learn to do is about the fulfilling all the one another's. They say there's like over 50 one another's 
that are in the New Testament, bearing with one another, loving one another, forgiving one another, encouraging one another. And I think as we, as we proactively say, that's my role to do that to others, um, it's going to encourage them. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, I don't have time. Yep, that's a great one. Yeah. Sharing our story is how God loves us. Yeah, sharing our story. So often we think, I can't do that. They'll think I'm a weirdo. But if God's prompting you to do that, you need to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Simple acts, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's so good. That's, a, that's really good. Simple acts. Once again, we've got to remember, I think we got to put it in our heads, we have no idea the impact. No idea the impact. That's why it's so easy for us to bypass these things. It's so easy for us to do that. But we think about the whole story of Ruth. It's about the redemption of all of mankind, not just by the act of incredible, has said, loving kindness of our Father. And so how can we not? Beautiful book, isn't it? Book of Ruth. I encourage you to go back, read it, and enjoy it for yourself. Okay, we're going to spend some time now. We're going to take communion. And as we go into communion, our time, I want to encourage you as from what maybe, the whole, how the Holy Spirit maybe has prompted you during this time um, to maybe even begin for the first time praying that prayer as, you, as you're reminded of the, the body that was, Christ's body that was given for us and the blood that was shed so that in turn you and I can enjoy being a child of the king so that we could have this incredible impact on our world or even our little world. So let me pray and we'll, and we'll jump in. Father God, I thank you for your word and for just the encouragement that you give us. It's not a go, go be my disciples and, and do it no whether you like it or not. God, it's a be my disciples because I love you. And our response of that kind of love just makes us want to show your loving kindness to others. Help us to do that, God. And as we remember now the body and blood of your son who redeemed us, the price that was paid to bring us back to, to a whole relationship with you, God, may we in this time, spend time with you truly enjoying who we are in Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.